Hill Church exists to express a sacred story and to extend a common table that animate life by love. A primary expression of our sacred story is the weekly sermon. If our sermons inspire you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully, would you consider supporting our work? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story. Oh God, awaken these dry bones, awaken. Breathe over our lives, revive our brokenness, renew our hope, awaken these dry bones, awaken. Amen. Easter, an entire season called Easter that symbolizes triumph over darkness, sorrow, sin, and death. An entire season called Easter that represents joy and celebrates victory over the grave. An entire season called Easter that reminds us that the power that raised Christ from the dead is still at work redeeming and renewing this world and each of our lives, even now. And this makes me want to ask, are you a morning person? Are you a morning person? I guess your answer to this question depends on so many variables. For example, I was more of a morning person before having kids, (laughs) Uh, but now that my kids are older, I've become more of a morning person again, and yet I'm still less of a morning person than I was before having kids. I think I will be forever catching up on sleep. And then, of course, there's that Portland rain and a months-long pandemic and the pressures of everyday living. And so many of us, I think, wake up to buzzing alarms and crying children and overloaded days stuffed full of responsibilities, which cause us to cry out, Oh, God, (laughs) not yet. Please, just five more minutes of sleep. But then there are those other times, aren't there? Those other times in which we wake with a surprising sense of delight and awe. I am alive. I have a body. I am a conscious being in a miraculous world that is whirling around a ball of fire at 67,000 miles per hour. The whole thing really is extraordinary, isn't it? And so Mary Oliver writes in her poem, Morning in a New Land, And under the trees, beyond time's brittle drift, I stood like Adam in his lonely garden on that first morning, shaken out of sleep, rubbing his eyes, listening, parting the leaves like tissue on some vast, incredible gift. Waking up. It's delightful. It is miraculous. It is divine. Of course, there are other ways of waking up that don't have to do with rising from slumber, such as waking from black and white to now seeing things in color. Waking from simplicity to ever-increasing complexity. 
to waking from a lack of awareness to more and more and more awareness. Can you remember the last time that you woke up like that? As adults, waking up can be a dizzying experience. I mean, we work so hard at becoming adult, don't we? And part of being adult is having life more or less figured out, isn't it? Well, in the Gospel of John, chapter 3, we're told a story about an adult who has worked so hard to grow up and to figure out life. His name is Nicodemus. Nicodemus, you see, is so settled. He is so grown up that he cannot feel the wind of change blowing over and around his very own life. Question. When was the last time you had an epiphany that changed everything? Question. When was the last time that your eyes opened to see something that you've been oblivious to? Question. When was the last time that your heart grew to feel the warmth and acceptance of someone or something that at one time was not acceptable? I'm going to go out on a limb here and guess that over the last 12 months, you have had some epiphanies. I'm going to go out on a limb here and guess that over the last 12 months, you've had your eyes open. And I'm going to go out on a limb here and guess that over the last 12 months, you've felt your heart grow. Of course, it's had to break and and to bleed, but make no doubt about it. Breaking and bleeding makes hearts grow. And I don't say this to undermine the difficulty or the sorrow or the death of 2020 and 2021 so far, but make no mistake about it, we are, Pearl Church, we are waking up. To use Jesus' language with Nicodemus, we are being born again. And this, you see, is the invitation of Jesus. Ever-growing, ever-becoming, ever-enlivening transformation, like birth itself, changes our lives as we have known them to be. And that is what the story of Nicodemus is all about. In fact, I think that is what the story of crucifixion and resurrection, tomb and new life are all about. But here's the thing. For many of us, the story about ever-growing, ever-becoming, ever-enlivening transformation has been boiled down to a one-time formula for getting saved, which is terribly unfortunate. Because you see, no one is ever fully saved. No one, even the most saved, are not saved fully. And it's quite often those who think that they are fully saved that so very often get stuck in bed. In the Nicodemus story, we learn that Nicodemus is a Pharisee who visits Jesus by night because he wants something, but he doesn't say what it is that he wants. He simply declares to Jesus, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do apart from the presence of God. Jesus then cuts right through this statement of belief, this statement of dogma, to get at the heart of Nicodemus's nighttime visit, saying to him, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Now, the phrase kingdom of God is loaded, uh, maybe as loaded as the phrase being born again. But for a moment, try to set aside whatever it is that you have in mind for this phrase kingdom of God. 
so that you can enter into this story with fresh eyes and fresh ears. Nicodemus goes to Jesus in the night because he wants to understand the kingdom of God. And you get the idea that if Jesus were to just explain it to him, if Jesus were to just prove it to him, if Jesus were to just reveal it to him, that Nicodemus wouldn't just visit Jesus in the night, but Nicodemus would begin to follow Jesus in the day as well. And you see, if Jesus were a good Christian, he would realize that this is Nicodemus's moment, you know? Give him the four spiritual laws. Have him pray a prayer. Ask him to raise his hand and come forward. And suddenly, bam, Nicodemus is born again. Nicodemus is in the kingdom. Will the next convert please stand up? But here's the thing. Surprisingly, Jesus doesn't explain or prove or reveal the kingdom of God to Nicodemus. Verse 3, Jesus says, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Verse 4, Nicodemus asks, How can anyone be born after having grown old? Now, listen to Jesus' reply to this question in verse 5 and following. Jesus answered, Very truly I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. What is born of the flesh is flesh, and what is born of the Spirit is spirit. Do not be astonished that I say to you, you must be born from above. The wind blows where it chooses, and you hear the sound of it, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with everyone who is born of the Spirit. How's that for clearing it all up for Nicodemus? And then verse 9, Nicodemus says to Jesus, how can these things be? And yet Jesus is unwilling to explain. He's unwilling to prove. He's unwilling to reveal the kingdom of God on Nicodemus's terms. Instead, he says to Nicodemus, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God without being born from above. Now, here's what Jesus does say. Jesus does say you must be born of water and spirit. Jesus does say you must be born again. Jesus does say the wind blows where it pleases. Jesus does say you hear the sound of it, but can't tell where it comes from or where it's going. And then Jesus says, that is what it's like to be born of the Spirit. What? declares Nicodemus. How can these things be? I think there are a few reasons that Nicodemus is disturbed by what Jesus is saying. Uh, Here's one. Being born again is physiologically impossible. Nicodemus cannot enter back into his mother's womb and start his life all over again. And here's another reason Nicodemus is disturbed. Being born again is difficult. Nicodemus is set in his life as a grown man. He has become a respected Pharisee. He is a leader of the people, and it takes a lot, a lot of work to get to the place in life that Nicodemus has gotten himself to. And here's another reason. Being born again is unnecessary. You see, Nicodemus is an Israelite. He's already a child of Father Abraham. He's been born into the right, legitimate family of God. And one more reason, the process that Jesus describes to Nicodemus is backwards. In this life, a person does not and quite possibly cannot participate in something that they don't understand, right? 
explain it, prove it, reveal it, and then I will make my decision. Oh, but Jesus is not talking about decisions here. Jesus is talking about moments here. A whole bunch of moments. And this is the crux of their conversation about the kingdom of heaven. Nicodemus, show me the kingdom. Jesus, be born again. Nicodemus, maybe, but I need to see the kingdom. Jesus, sure, be born again. And around and around and around they go. To help Nicodemus understand, Jesus offers a few metaphors. He does this three times. In verses 5 to 8, he offers water and spirit. In the scriptures, water cleanses. It, it washes away the dirt. And the spirit, well, the spirit is often represented by oil, and it means anointing. Nicodemus, Jesus is saying, being born again, it's like a moment of being cleansed. It's like a moment of having your whole life anointed. In verses 11 to 15, Jesus reflects on Moses lifting up serpents in the wilderness. This is an ancient story from Numbers chapter 21 in which Israel complains and grumbles against Moses. They're attacked by snakes. They cry out for help. God tells Moses to make a snake and wrap it around a pole and so the people could look at it and find healing. To this day, the serpent wrapped around a pole remains a sign of healing used by medical organizations. Nicodemus, Jesus is saying, being born again is like a moment of healing. It's like being saved from death. And one more metaphor. In verses 16 to 21, Jesus depicts a dark world that is overwhelmed by chaos and pain and destruction. A lot like this last year of our lives, I'd say. But then Jesus says that there is light. God's loving light, Jesus says, is radiating, illuminating, and spilling out into the darkness. Nicodemus, Jesus says, being born again is like the sun rising upon a dark and dreary land. Nicodemus, being born again, it's a cleansing moment. It's a healing moment. It's a moment when it happens in which the sun rises on the darkness and maybe even perhaps you can feel its warmth upon your face. For sure you can feel its warmth upon your soul. As Oliver explains it, and under the trees beyond time's brittle drift, I stood like Adam in his lonely garden on that first morning, shaken out of sleep, rubbing his eyes, listening, parting the leaves like tissue on some vast, incredible gift. So what do you say, Nicodemus? Are you willing to do the physiologically impossible? Are you open to starting anew? Are you willing to transcend your current perspective and state of consciousness? Will you, will you on this Easter morning be born again? And of course, being born again is no small thing. The struggle for new life is often, very often, a terribly painful, wonderfully joyful, terribly difficult, wonderfully worth it in the moment in which something new, something marvelous, something mysterious occurs. We wake up. 
shaken out of sleep, rubbing our eyes, listening, parting the leaves like tissue on some vast, incredible gift to wake up again and again and again and again. That, you see, is the divine invitation. And listen to this because it's very important. According to Jesus, this moment, these moments of being born again, again, well, that is to see, to actually see the kingdom of heaven. Imagine that. The kingdom of heaven, at least according to this story, is not a place. It is not a legion of saints in church or in heaven. It is not a thing that you get into by believing something up here in your brain. No. The kingdom of heaven is a moment, and it is a collection of moments in which we open ourselves to the possibility of seeing and thinking and becoming something new, which is very much like being made new, which is very much like an empty Easter tomb after a terribly difficult Friday into which we wake a lush, life-filled garden and celebrate the wonder of waking up again and again and again. And this, this waking up, this seeing it all differently, this expansion of compassion and texture and mystery and ever-increasing love for, well, everything. (laughs) This moment of, oh, wow, and and I see it all so differently now. And, And I used to see it like this, and I used to think like that, but now I see this, and I'm thinking these things you see this is. It is, according to this ancient story, what it means to be to embody, to embrace, to display the kingdom of heaven in this world. I'll conclude with this. It's important to notice that the story isn't really about some guy named Nicodemus. It's actually about all of us who hear this story about Nicodemus. You see, the story concludes in verse 21, but we never find out how Nicodemus responds to Jesus' invitation to be born again. And then abruptly, Jesus and his disciples are off to another place in verse 22. You see, there's no Nicodemus at the end of the story. There's just us, religious people, on Easter morning, learning that the kingdom of heaven is best understood and made manifest by people who are open to the divine wind of change that births us anew into this world and is pulling us all forward into more love and inclusion and justice and equity again and again and again. With this in mind, and as difficult as the last 12 months have been, with so much pain and so much anguish. Perhaps it's also been a year of waking, a year of labor, contractions, and birthing, a year of realizing that God's kingdom must cherish every person, a year of deciding that until every person fully, truly, wonderfully, lovingly belongs, we will no longer slumber, for we cannot. In trees still dripping night, some nameless birds woke, shook out their arrowy wings, and sang slowly, 
like finches sifting through a dream. The pink sun fell like glass into the fields, two chestnuts and a dapple gray, their shoulders wet with light, their dark hair streaming, climbed the hill, and the last mist fell away. And under the trees, beyond time's brittle drift, I stood like Adam in his lonely garden on that first morning, shaken out of sleep, rubbing his eyes, listening, parting the leaves like tissue on some vast, incredible gift. May it be so, and let us pray. O God, awaken these dry bones, awaken. Breathe over our lives, revive our brokenness. Renew our hope and bring us to new life, even today. We hope that this sermon inspired you to ponder the sacred, to consider the mystery and love of God, and to live bountifully. If you don't already support our work, will you begin today? You can donate easily and securely at our website, pearlchurch.org, or follow the link in the podcast notes. Thank you for partnering with us in expressing this sacred story.